I've been privileged over the last uh, few Sundays, we've been privileged to watch different families in the church uh, come have our Advent reading and then light these candles. I've never done that. And uh, when I came in this evening, uh, Tyler said, you're going to do the Advent reading, aren't you? And I thought, not without my family. So Terry, the Street Clan, the Doster Clan, if you'll come and stand with me, please. Come on. I know you're loving this, aren't you? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Christmas promise. I don't trust you. Sit down. Long, long ago, God promised to send a very special king. And would you like to know how he did it? The Christmas story begins with an angel. Whoosh! The angel told Mary, you will have a very special baby. Then God sent an angel to Joseph. Whoosh! Mary's baby will be God's new king, he said. Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. When the baby was born, he slept in a manger. And God sent more angels to see some shepherds. Whoosh! God's new king had been born, they sang. The shepherds rushed to see this very special baby. Far, far away, some wise men saw a new star in the sky. Whoosh! The new star meant that a new king had been born. The wise men came a long, long way to see him. God sent his new king, 
just as he promised. And his name was Jesus. Tonight, we're going to talk about the name of Jesus and how Jesus came to save his people. You guys can go back to your seats. First time to light the candles. Because when he asked me how to do it, he said, you just start with the smallest one and go around, right? Have you ever read the last chapter of a book first? Have you ever watched the last episode of a season first and then gone back to watch the rest of it? Have you ever watched the last 20 minutes of a movie before starting it over? Children, have you ever asked the question, what's going to happen next? Because you cannot wait to find out what happens. People do this because they're anticipating the end. They want to know what's coming before it happens. And I have two instances of this happening in my own life. First, a year or so ago, John recommended a movie on Netflix. And I searched for it, and then I proceeded to binge on it in about two days. And I found myself a little lost. I started to watch it, and I didn't recognize any of the people. But they were telling the story as though I'm supposed to know who everyone was. And I was just waiting for the punchline. Now let us tell you how we got here. Like the father of the bride. You know, that's how that begins the movie. They start at the end, and then they tell the story of how they got there. That never happened. We were watching the last episode of the series first. So we had to go back and we had to watch the whole series to find out how we got there. The second instance, my mother. Every novel she buys, she reads the last chapter first. She hates surprises. She wants to know what's going to happen before it happens. So she reads the last chapter finishes it, then goes to the first chapter and reads the book in its whole entirety. Children, have you ever heard a spoiler alert? Maybe it was my own children that told you. It's one of the hardest things to tell children. When they watch a movie, when they read a book, don't tell anybody what happens. The only thing you can tell them is, I saw the movie. They don't want to know that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. They don't want to know that Iron Man dies in the end. In this text this evening, we find our, our author doing this very thing. In the birth narrative of Jesus, before Jesus is born, we are told what happens at the end of the story. In verse 21, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Spoiler alert. Jesus came to save his people from his sins. The birth of Jesus is his first work of redemption. The word became flesh. Jesus came to save sinners. 
He descended from heaven to earth. The unbegotten became a creature. God the Son becomes the incarnate word to save the world from sins. From the very beginning, the trajectory of Jesus is sealed. He's going to the cross. The closing lines are filled. Jesus, the infant, came to save us. This is what Simeon was so excited about in chapter 2 of Luke. He proclaims, for my eyes have seen God's Redeemer. He knew where Jesus was headed. God the Father sends an angel, a messenger to Joseph, with the ultimate spoiler alert. Jesus will save his people. This is the one. This is the one that Israel has been waiting for. And then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in each gospel, they all tell us where the story is going. But then they lead us along a story, and we meet who Jesus is. He preaches. He teaches. He tells stories. He counsels. He has a loving touch for the sick and the disabled. He prays. He suffers. And then he dies upon the cross. And ultimately leaves the tomb empty. The message of Christmas unveils the trajectory of our Easter message. Jesus comes to save. Whether we are celebrating the birth of Christ or the crucifixion, the story is the same. The good news of the gospel is the same. The God-man, Jesus, is the Redeemer. Is this something that you normally talk about at Christmas? During Christmas, we tend not to talk about our sin, about our seduction of temptation, about changing what God wants for us into what we want to do for ourselves, disobeying God's laws, his ordinance. We have to remember God's law is there to protect us from sin, but also to protect ourselves from ourselves. Yet at Christmas time, our tension remains on a baby born in a manger. And sometimes we forget why that baby was born in a manger. The storyline of all of Scripture is the same. God is going to redeem his people. Through Jesus. As John said this past Lord's Day, but when the fullness of time had come from Galatians 4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who are under the law, that they might be received as adopted children of God. Jesus comes to save us from our sin, but why? to reconcile us to the Father, that we might be called sons and daughters of the Most High. 
This is the narrative of Christmas. This is the narrative all the way to Easter. But our culture tells us a narrative of an elf. And this elf watches us and promises to give us presents if we're good. But the story of Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus came when we weren't good. Jesus came because we couldn't do good. Jesus came because we didn't do what we were supposed to do and because we should have done what we didn't do. He came because our lives are full of sin. He came when we were determined and mastered by it. But he called us home to the Father. Matthew informs his readers in this very first chapter, when Jesus comes, everything changes. He even changes the story of a seemingly insignificant young couple betrothed in marriage. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. God comes into their chaos. A normal couple doing what normal Jews did. Covenantly bound to one another for marriage. They would later follow the orders of their local government. Joseph is called a just man. This means that he tried to follow the law as a good Israelite would try to follow the law. And God comes and everything changes. But as he considered the things, these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. They were ordinary people. And when they heard about Jesus, Everything changed. God sends Jesus into the lives of ordinary people living in chaos to change everything about them. And then Matthew tells us this was to fulfill what the prophets had said. And then God fulfills what the angel said when Jesus went to the cross for our sin. How has Jesus come into your life in the ordinary when you weren't expecting it? How has he revealed himself to you when you weren't looking for him? How does he remind you in the ordinary, mundane ways of everyday life, that you are his redeemed people, sons and daughters of the God Most High.
the gospel narrative informs us where the story is going, even before it begins. The cross is on the horizon. Christ crucified, the power and wisdom of God for the people of God. The birth of Christ was Jesus' first saving act for his people. It was the precursor of the cross. Philip Hughes writes this, Bethlehem is not the whole story. The birth that took place there was not the end in itself, but the means to an end. The end to which Bethlehem was a means was Calvary. And unless Bethlehem is seen in direct relationship to Calvary, its true purpose and significance is missed. The cradle was the start of the road that led to the cross. And the purpose of Christ's coming was to achieve not in the cradle, but on the cross. Thus, Jesus declared of himself, the son of man who came to give his life as a ransom for many. The trajectory is the cross in the empty tomb. That is why we come and celebrate, because Jesus really saves. And God intervened in an ordinary way to ordinary people, just like he comes to us through the word of God. And this text demands something from us. Because every time God intervenes, every time Jesus shows up, he demands a response. And Joseph gives us, Joseph shows us the correct response. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. How do you respond when God intervenes? How do you respond when he reveals himself as Savior and Lord? The gospel demands from each one of us to believe in Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem. And this is why we come to the table. When we come, we are saying we believe in the gospel. Jesus has saved us from our sins. At this table, God meets his faithful people. This is where the faithful come. This is where we come to adore the living Christ. Jesus is alive, and he has saved us from our sins. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us tonight as we celebrate the birth of the unbegotten. Lord, remind us in the ordinary ways of our lives that you are who you said you were, 
that God's promises has been fulfilled in you. And you are our Redeemer. May we glorify your name this Christmas. Amen. Please stand. Father, you are with us because you promised to always be with us. Christ, you are on your throne, reigning, interceding for us. Lord, receive the honor due to your name. Help us in our unbelief. May we be light in the darkness through Christ. Amen. Please stand.